0: I wanna start off this show by thanking all of you for helping all of our communities during a time of need. Really putting aside your own personal safety to take care of patients and to be away from your families. I know you don't hear it often enough and I don't think you're gonna hear it that much in the upcoming weeks, but thank you. Thank you for being amazing and strong and helping us get through this. This also goes out to all the spouses of those amazing physicians. I don't say this because I'm married to a doctor, but it's because I truly understand what it takes to be strong and provide the support that they need, as well as what your family needs. You guys are all amazing, and we can't thank you enough for doing what you do. Before I go into our show on tax loss harvesting, I want to let you know that that next Monday's show will be on why you should ignore all market predictions. Now, funny enough, these show topics have been set for months. In fact, I have almost all of this year's content already planned for for the podcast so it's not changing just due to events that we have seen in the past few weeks but i want to come out here and basically interrupt the beginning part of this show to stay here that there's nothing to be worried about markets experience volatility and when things are uncertain markets hate uncertainty and they typically respond violently with big ups and big downs as it works through the news Expect more volatility coming in the upcoming weeks. I'll make sure that I touch on this more next week, but I wanted to state right now is not the time for panic. It's not the time to sell everything and move to cash or to make any tweaks to your portfolios or allocations. Don't stop investing in your 401ks or your 403bs. It's best to do nothing and observe than to do anything, especially quickly, and especially those big decisions surrounding your portfolio. All right, so we've had lots of inquiries into financial residency, as well as our financial planning practice, Position while Services, concerning tax loss harvesting and avoiding a wash sale. Now, tax loss harvesting isn't the most difficult thing to do, but it can be really confusing and could leave you in a mess if you do it wrong. If you want to manage your investments in an efficient manner, tax loss harvesting is a must. So let's get your investments on track and dig deep into the ins and outs of tax loss harvesting. Welcome to your financial residency, of course, without the long hours and sleepless nights. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. It's going to be really fun nerding out on tax loss harvesting. If this is your first time here and you enjoy the show, please make sure to subscribe So you can get some more awesome content on how to manage your personal finances and live out your version of your ideal life. If you're a regular, thank you so much again for being here. You guys are an amazing community and of course, welcome back. So before we jump in and nerd out on tax loss harvesting, I want you to walk away with a few key points that I'll be discussing. So here are the three things that I really want you to take away as we go through this. We're going to go through what is tax loss harvesting and why we would even do this. What is a wash sale and really how to avoid a wash sale. And then we're going to talk about how to get the most out of tax loss harvesting. So there's several benefits to harvesting losses in your taxable account. And we're really looking at the differences between tax rates. This would be the ordinary income, long-term and short-term capital gains. Then looking at how much you have saved in taxes and of course, compounding that over your investment time horizon. Now that sounded super complicated, but I'm going to break it down for you. So you're going to be able to do one of two things after hearing this show, you're going to be able to successfully tax loss harvest in your own account, or you're going to have a much better understanding of what your advisor is doing, or I should say should be doing when it comes to managing your investments. All right. So what is tax loss harvesting and why would we even do this? So really tax loss harvesting is an advantage of having an individual or a joint taxable brokerage account. Now note that I didn't say IRA or a different tax sheltered account and that's because tax loss harvesting does not apply to those accounts. It only applies to your taxable brokerage account. Tax loss harvesting is The act of selling one security and buying another, taking advantage of the quote unquote paper loss in that security that declined in value, and then purchasing a different security that is highly correlated, but not, and this is really important, substantially identical. Those last words are really, really important. I'm going to talk about those in a bit, but you want to purchase another security that is highly correlated, but not substantially identical. Now, you don't actually have to buy back shares immediately in a highly correlated security. You can choose to wait 31 days until you buy back in, but most of you will want to buy in with the funds that you receive from selling that security that had declined in value, so you don't miss a potential increase if prices were to rise in that 31-day period. The amounts of any loss realized in a taxable account will first be used to offset any capital gains, if you had any, in the same calendar year. And then any remaining losses will be deducted from your ordinary income when you file taxes, and that goes up to about $3,000 per year. And this would yield roughly about $1,000 tax savings for the typical attending, maybe a little bit more. And you're probably thinking, well, I've got more than $3,000 in losses, you know, can I take them all this year? Sadly, no, you really can't do that. But it's not a use it or lose it scenario, which is awesome. If you have more than $3,000 of losses, you can carry forward those losses into future tax years to get the benefit there. So as an example, let's say that you had $30,000 in losses and for some reason you wanted to take those now and you didn't have any capital gains to offset those you would get a $3,000 loss against the ordinary income for about 10 years. Now, don't recommend doing that, just illustrating a point. Now, what you would more typically see or do is that you would offset any losses, whether it's short or long-term, with other short or long-term gains. All right, uh uh-oh, right? Flag's going off. We got some new terms, so let's get a quick definition. You know, short-term capital gains or losses are determined by the net profit or loss that you would have when selling a certain asset that was owned for less than 12 months. Long-term would be pretty much the exact same thing, except for it would be selling any asset that was owned for longer than 12 months. So losses in your investments, as we're working through this, are first used to offset capital gains of the same type. If you have an overall net capital loss for the year, you can deduct that $3,000 that I mentioned before against all other kinds of income, including salary and interest income. Any excess net capital loss would then be carried forward over to subsequent years and deducted against capital gains up to that $3,000 of other kinds of income. So now I've talked about tax loss harvesting and what it is and kind of why we would do it. I'm going to introduce, you know, what is a wash sale? and how to avoid it. So this is gonna get a little bit complicated, especially without any visual aids, but I'm gonna do my best at explaining it. So essentially a wash sale is a rule that postpones losses if you buy, here's that word, or two words, substantially identical securities within 30 days before or after the sale. Now when a wash sale occurs, the loss that you actually are trying to harvest is actually disallowed. Now, the slightly good news is that when or if that happens, your cost basis would move up when you go to sell that security again, assuming, of course, you don't have another wash sale. And then it's kind of an endless cycle if you end up doing that. But the bad news is that the loss in the current year would be disallowed. Now, just a heads up, because some of you are maybe a little bit more advanced and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to try to get cute. I'm going to have my spouse buy shares of the same fund that I'm going to sell And unfortunately it will result in a wash sale as the security is substantially identical. And it, by the way, also doesn't work if you sell it in your taxable account and then you try to buy it in your IRA. I'm sure a few of you were thinking that and I tip my hat to you, but don't do it because it doesn't work. All right. So hopefully you're still with me, but let's break this down into a few examples because just talking abstract and not seeing any visuals, I could see how this is a little confusing. So let's break down some examples because I want to make sure you understand wash sale rules so it doesn't get too messy for you. All right. So on April 1st, I'm going to buy one share of the iShares Total Stock Market ETF. Okay. Wait, I I lied. I'm going to stop here because I don't want you to take this as investment advice. This is just an example. Okay. So I paid a hundred dollars for that one share of that ETF. And then on April 15th, I had a really bad tax day. So I decided I no longer want to own that ETF and I decide to sell it. And I sell that share for $90. First, that stinks. That's a big bummer, right? Because I just had to sell something. I took that $10 loss in just 15 days. Now, this is allowed if I decide to not go buy a substantially identical security to the iShares Total Stock Market ETF within the next 30 days. So if I decide to buy back in on April 20th for that one share, then my loss is disallowed. So hopefully you follow me on that one, but let's get a little bit more complicated and difficult because most people don't just buy one share of something and they don't just purchase one time. Your dollar cost averaging into the market, so let's up our game a bit. On April 1st, I'm gonna go buy 10 shares of the iShares total stock market ETF. And I pay a hundred dollars per share for those 10 shares of that ETF. Few days later on April 5th, I go buy another 10 shares, this time at $95 per share. So now I own 20 shares all as well. Now, remember what I said about wash sales. You can't buy a substantially identical security within 30 days before or after the sell. So on April 15th, again, had a really bad tax day and I decide that I no longer want to own that much of the ETF. And so I decide to sell 10 shares and I sell it for $90. If I don't sell my entire position and liquidate all 20 shares that I own, I'm going to violate the rules and the wash sale will occur and my losses will be disallowed and the losses then would be added to the cost basis of my remaining 10 shares. So hopefully that made some sense. If not, rewind a few minutes and listen to it again. The easiest way to avoid this all is to not buy substantially identical securities. Now, again, not investment advice, but as an example, that'd be like owning the iShares Total Stock Market ETF, selling it and buying, let's say, the Vanguard Large Cap ETF. These are not substantially identical. It's definitely not the same fund or the same fund company. And would be potentially a viable option, despite not having mid-cap or small-cap exposure. Now, some of you might have caught on a little bit here, and you might be thinking, well, okay, Ryan, I'll just go and sell my iShares total stock market ETF, and I'll go buy the Vanguard total stock market ETF. And that should be okay, because it's two separate companies. And honestly, I don't think there's real guidance here from the IRS on this, but I think that would still be considered substantially identical. and the losses would not be allowed. Now, of course, we can state some obvious differences, right? Two separate fund companies. But the idea behind the substantially identical securities piece is to signal that you're changing your position in the market and not buying the basically the same exact thing from another fund company. So buying that near identical index fund, that's really one I wouldn't say is substantially, right? Keyword different. It just doesn't seem like it'd fit the bill. Okay, so we've talked about tax loss harvesting, kind of why we do it, the wash sale, how to avoid it. Don't do those. Now let's kind of chat on how to get the most out of tax loss harvesting. So here are a few tips to get, I think, the most out of tax loss harvesting. You know, sometimes you're gonna have legacy positions that you might not want to keep. I see this a ton with our clients that come from other advisors that have honestly purchased a bunch of crap that they should never have owned in the first place. But if they came to me, it would be completely reckless to just go and sell those positions and not think about tax consequences, even though it'd be nice to just purge that crap out of their investment portfolio and just move on out of sight, out of mind. It would be reckless and irresponsible, and that's not something we'd like to do. So we're going to eventually use the idea of tax loss harvesting to offset some of those gains in those positions that we don't want to hold with losses as they occur. And eventually, it is gonna probably take some time, especially if you have a lot of gains in those legacy positions, but eventually you're gonna rid yourself of all those bad investments and be left with some really awesome investments that fit your investment criteria. Now, in order to not accidentally violate the wash sale with tax loss harvesting, you should also make sure to turn off dividend reinvestments. It would be a really big bummer to take the time and effort to go through this exercise to then have it messed up with a dividend reinvestment. I would also say to make sure that you take into consideration trading costs as you look at tax loss harvesting. So at Physician Well Services, we custody at TD Ameritrade, and we really don't have to worry about that as our portfolios are built with many of the no transaction funds as possible on TD's platform. If you're on Vanguard's platform, you likely don't have to worry about trading costs as well. But for everyone else, this is something that I would say keep in mind and the smaller the portfolio, the more the fees will matter when trading in and out of the market. And kind of speaking on fees, I'd also look at how much is enough to make it worthwhile. So are you gonna be harvesting hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars It depends on you, what you're paid per hour, how much you want to nerd out on this stuff, how much you want to tweak it. Personally, I would say I wouldn't be trying to harvest $50, but I think, you know, anywhere in the $750 to $1,000 of harvesting might make it worthwhile. So what threshold makes that trade worth it is something that you're going to have to go through. And I think it also changes if you wanted to own that fund anyways. So if I wanted to harvest losses in one of those legacy positions, I might be okay with just trying to get rid of $500 of gain. But if it's a fund that we already wanted to own, maybe I'd have to be motivated to go do those things at $750 or $1,000. And really just think through that opportunity cost. And what I mean by thinking through the opportunity cost is that could that cash just if you were to, to make the tax loss harvest, but not go reinvest and just have it sit there? which is, by the way, substantially easier and probably less confusing and would save some time and you wouldn't violate wash sale rules like if it just sat there for 31 days versus owning a different fund and basically maintaining that time in the market. This is a very personal decision, but for clients, obviously, we wanna get the money working as quick as possible and we understand the ins and outs. So that's something that we're just gonna do. But for you that's sitting there and kind of doing the DIY investing, something that I would want to consider. So the last thing I have here for you guys to really think about, it isn't really getting the most out of tax loss harvesting, but let's call it food for thought. And that's by doing some tax loss harvesting, it might make your portfolios out of balance according to your risk tolerance. Now that's pretty easily fixed if you have new money coming in every month and you can allocate it in different ways. It's not so easy if you aren't actively contributing to the account or if you are in withdrawal mode. So hopefully those were some helpful and valuable tips, hints, tricks, whatever you want to call them. I know that we get asked this a ton, and I wanted to make sure that all of you in the community understand what tax loss harvesting is, how to do it. And I'm really hoping you're not as intimidated by the words tax loss harvesting as you were prior to listening to this show. Now, if you know another physician that would benefit from hearing this, please send it to him. I'd love for our community to grow. There are about a million physicians in the United States, and we're only reaching about half a percent of them. So let's fix that and help other physicians and their families feel more confident in managing their money, their personal finances, and hopefully decreasing burnout among the physician community. Before I end, please understand the show is for entertainment purposes only. It's not specific investment advice. So please do not go take it and implement on it. Reach out to a CPA, an attorney, or a family financial planner before taking any action. Thank you so much to all the physicians and physician families out there being on the front line. We are so thankful. You're not probably going to hear it. thank you enough, but thank you for what you do. Have a great week, everyone, and see you guys on Friday. Cheers.